Spectacular Enthusiasts Club podcast. This week, behind the scenes at CBR Restorations. JECpodcast.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast. We're back on and it's good to be here, actually. Hope you've had a fantastic 2022 in your Jaguars, enjoying what has been the most amazing summer. I'm sure you'll agree it has been rocking hot most of the time. And uh, every single show, pretty much, I got sunburnt at. But uh, we can't complain that the weather wasn't with us with show season for this year. And now, of course, as I talk to you in the beginnings of December... As we head towards the end of the year, most of the toys are packed away snugly in their garages, or perhaps the toolboxes have been cracked open, and now is the time that your restoration project starts, or all of that maintenance work that you need to get to after the enjoyment of the summer season. Whatever it is, I hope we're keeping you company here on the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast, doing what we do best, and that is sharing the passion for Jaguar around the world. It is a global family that listen to this podcast, so wherever you are, wherever you're listening, and whatever Jaguar you drive, you're very welcome here, and we'd love to hear from you as well. And there's several ways you can get in touch with us here on the podcast. You can, very easily, go to the website at jecpodcast.com, use the contact form there, and tell us all about yourself, particularly if you've got a really interesting story as to how you came to be a Jaguar owner or perhaps you've got links either with yourself or in the family to the Jaguar factory. We'd like to hear from you, especially if you've got a story to tell. You never know, you might be on this podcast with me, Wayne Scott, talking to you in your garage or wherever you might be interviewing you about your Jaguar. That's via the contact form at jcpodcast.com and... If you want to leave us an even better message, you can actually leave a voicemail through your computer or your mobile phone on that page as well. And that voicemail will come through to me and we can put you on the podcast. We can take the audio from that and play it back to the thousands, literally, that are listening around the world. From this point on, the podcasts are going to be every two weeks and we've got some really interesting chats to come. This year as well, we've been working with the Jaguar Daimler Heritage Trust to capture some conversations and interviews with some amazing people with amazing stories to tell of their life with Jaguar. Uh, some people who worked in the factory, some people who worked on some very special projects for the brand over the years. We'll be sharing snippets of those interviews with you and also snippets of interviews that I've been doing up and down the events across the land. We met with John Watson, the famous Formula One driver, of course, we spoke to Stuart Rolt this year as well, the son of Tony Rolt, who, of course, won in a C-type for Jaguar alongside Duncan Hamilton. That's a fascinating story. We'll be sharing that with you over the coming weeks as well. Also, one of the huge news stories to come out of the summer was the launch of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club insurance scheme. And this is an insurance scheme that the passionate members of the JEC have shaped and crafted and moulded to make sure that finally out there in the market there is an insurance scheme that truly looks after Jaguar owners and also helps the club to survive, helps our movement and our passion to survive into the future as well with some very clever features like the encouragement of young drivers to enable us to reach younger and newer audiences uh, to, of course, spread the word of Jaguar. We're going to be talking to Dave Youngs on this podcast in a future episode as well, so... That's the warning for you. If you've got any questions about car insurance, any questions at all, then do send them in via the podcast page at jecpodcast.com because we'll collect all of those questions, we'll put them to Dave, and we'll answer all of your queries about the JEC Club's insurance scheme uh, with Dave Young as the scheme manager when he comes on this podcast. So have a think about it. Is there something about insurance that's been worrying you? Is there something that you've tried to get from club insurance schemes in the past that you'd like to get? Is there something that you really need to know about covering perhaps a restoration project or a very special Jaguar? We'll answer all those questions on a future podcast. The important thing is to get us those questions. jecpodcast.com 
pop your question and a little bit about yourself, please, as well, into the contact form on there. And we'll be uh, putting Dave through his paces, answering all those questions in a future episode very, very soon here on the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast. Uh, of course, we have the Summer Jaguar Festival at Newby Hall, another blazing hot, sunny day. Great, great jaguars we had lined up in that field and the moving motor show as well which i really enjoyed presenting we had a whole selection of jaguars and swallows from the very beginning of the swallow story from 1922 onwards all the way through to the most modern of high performance f types and everything in between it was really great to talk to all those people and to see all of those cars and present the story of jaguar in the form of a moving motor show and not just static cars behind velvet ropes. We don't do that here on the podcast. We like to experience these cars at their best. That was wonderful, and there'll be footage being shared of that on the JEC YouTube channel in the coming weeks as well. So, now you know what I know. We're all set up and ready to go for another season of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast, and we start with a great look behind closed doors. And I hope you'll enjoy this, because it's very rare that you get a chance to sort of hang around in the back of a working restoration workshop but that's exactly what i did and i'm going to take you with me first of all we're going to go over and meet the founder of cbr restorations they're in a little village just outside wolverhampton they've got an amazing story andy waters has got an amazing story as well we meet him first of all and then after a cup of tea we have a good poke and a prod around his workshop to see what they do, how they do it, and what cars they've got squirreled away in there as well. Andy Waters then, here on the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast, next. Well, on this episode of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club podcast, I find myself uh, in South Staffordshire and the premises of CBR Restorations. And uh, I'm sat with the boss, actually, Andy Waters, in his office here and uh, we've had a look around all of the cars we'll take you around for a bit of a journey around the workshops in just a moment as well but uh, Andy it's great to finally be here in the home of CBR Restorations how long have you been here? Basically uh, these new premises for about seven years now but uh, as an entity for some 27, 28 years Take us back to the very beginning of your career then and how it started with working with cars was it something that you were always interested in as a kid were you always pulling your toys apart on christmas day and seeing how they worked yeah most certainly the destruction of the uh, matchbox car and uh, dinky but you found yourself sort of age of 13 going round to the council garages where people were uh, sort of fixing their own cars to get to work next day and uh sort of that hustle and bustle of some buying them from the odd auction and tidying them up around the garages to try and make a few quid so you watched it uh, you watched it around about that time got into it and after me exams basically the way my birthday fell i was 15 when i started me yts in uh, in a body shop and I still remember now that I stepped forward to say I'd take the body shop position, although I was on a mechanics course. And my friends said to me who were on that course, yeah, what are you doing? You've come to be a mechanic. And I actually said, what I've come to be is successful. Hopefully by learning both sides of the trade meant that I could, as years have gone on, uh, make sure that if a, if a member of staff left a job, I, I, I knew exactly how to do that job properly. And that's how I stuck to that all the way through and grew my knowledge. Was it always in your mind that you were going to one day own your own garage? You didn't want to be working for other people for all of your career? Well, I... I only worked for three companies up until I was about 27 and at each stage I learned vast knowledge and grew into attention to detail etc and finally the last place I worked for I was in classic cars working for working for a company and I finally went up to the boss and said look I've learned more absorb more i said but there's a big hole in the back of my head needs filling and i'm never going to be happy unless 
I have a go at it. I didn't want to be somebody who stood there saying, if, if I'd done this, if I'd done that. I said, so at uh, 27, I jumped in the deep end and uh, had a go at it. Daunting, it must have been at that age to have done that. Yeah, uh, I'd like to say I was a very practical person, but I can confirm I certainly was had a lot more hair on my head back then. <laughs> uh, I certainly lost a lot of that along the way. Crazy to find that when you've got overheads and everything else, you suddenly find out you're doing jobs for less than you did on a weekend. The people all of a sudden think you know that you're charging them over the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually you've got to get your reputation out there built that reputation over many years and through many challenges why classic cars for you then was has that always been an area of interest or was it a business opportunity you saw no it uh, again all aspects of cars i've worked on along the way but i wanted to get into something that really would test and push you and uh, my dad when he was alive I actually remember him saying that he could not believe that probably the most impatient person he knew had got into a job that needed the most patience ever I persevered with it and yeah it, uh, it, it was sort of therapeutic probably having to exercise and use a vision and exercise your brain cells to make things work it's amazing that, uh, you know, at such a young age, you started a business. Now, as we walk around the workshops, you've got some of the best examples out there, especially of Jaguars in restoration, all sorts of different classics as well, uh, and some really complicated builds, some really high quality builds. So how has the learning curve been? How have you continued to gain those skills and what were those early sort of painful lessons that you you learned in the business in those early days i was never around when these cars were built brand new so yeah it was moving into a market that you know was before my time uh unfortunately i mean we even work on all all the way down to the vintage rolls royces uh but it's the fundamentals of motor vehicle technology hasn't changed much over the years. Technology has, but the basis to it all is still the same. But uh, it is just that vision and I would say, and practical common sense. If you've got practical common sense, then you can establish how everything has gone together. And yeah, when you first start getting into some of these cars the easiest job in the world is to pull a car apart Mm. one of the hardest jobs is to put a car back together and make sure it's 100 percent or 110 percent you know of what it should be but uh your early lessons are you know things like an e-type there is a specific way to put that car together you know and your first lessons are you know you'll put things on and then suddenly find you're t- taking them off to uh, to realise that one little thing's got to go on first and then you move forward. But as long as you, you, know, you absorb that at an early age, uh, you've got plenty of years to, uh, to sort of implement it and become efficient with it. You are in this game sort of part mechanic, part historian, part archaeologist, aren't you? In a way, you've got to, you've got to put things back as you say, in a certain way, but sympathetically as well. And I can see out there in the workshop, just looking around the work that you've done uh, on those vehicles out there, there's an attention to detail that's needed that you don't get in modern workshops. And I, I get the feeling that you you pride yourself in that. The reputation is built on that. And if you stick to the words or philosophy, if it doesn't look right, it doesn't feel right, then it most certainly isn't right. Uh, but again, it's about little things you learn along the way to improve on how they were because these cars aren't now being done on a production line where a company was trying to make a profit on on that production. Uh, this is now about finessing what was on that production line you know, and handing the customer the best they can get. Those cars are far better than they ever were when they came out of Browns Lane, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, everybody says things like uh, the bolts on the bonnet, the bolts on uh, 
framework would all sprayed. They were only sprayed because the car was assembled and then it with a coat of paint. The detail is in removing each individual bolt after to give the Breitzing plating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're not going to win a Concorde event like that because they've got to be back to painted painted items for Concorde, but you can certainly uh, win trophies on sort of the attention to detail to make it stand out. Mm -hmm. I mean, as people say, you're building the car that the production line would have loved to have built. But of course, on the production line, they had the distinct advantage that they had big buckets and bins of all the parts that they needed, exactly where they needed them and exactly when they needed them. Has it become a big challenge now in restoration to find parts of a quality where you can achieve the sort of finish that you're striving for, for your customers? There is a phenomenal supply chain for the parts for these classic cars, but there are areas of quality that create you major issues and some items like say you've you buy a brand new item you've got to work that item to fit that car and you're probably even if it's down a chrome you will then send it away after for re-chroming uh, because you've had to alter it that much from the press that's pushing them out things things that have been made was tried on say one car and uh, the tooling or the supplier who's making the parts has changed something in their process but the people selling it haven't noticed this and think they're getting the same item they inspected 15 years ago mm -hmm. and the quality has dropped off uh, with some of the parts but I still think it's phenomenal that companies have chased to try and reproduce and make so many parts we say sometimes it's easier to get a part for a classic than mm -hmm. it is to get a car part for a modern car and in these these times at the moment that really does seem true mm. and especially with jaguar see you've got an xk8 out there on one of the ramps that's an example of a car that's now very challenging to get parts for isn't it although it's seen by many as relatively modern yeah, it uh, people would still purchase that car thinking they were buying a reasonably modern sports car, and yeah, you know everybody's already in talks behind the scenes to try and produce parts for them because manufacturers are only stuck to an agreement of ten years production of parts. As soon as the cars sort of cease production, they can stop. Uh, the I mean the one car that's out there, ABS sensors for it, and it was not the XK8, but another car out there. Uh, ABS sensors for it are literally impossible to find, mm. to a point that when we did source to, they were secondhand all the way from America, wow. for an English car. You know, there's there are areas that still need mm. chasing to uh, to produce these spots. Mm. Yeah, and the XJS is another example, isn't it? A real challenging car to get parts for now and, and, and restoring them for customers, I guess, is tricky for that reason. Yeah, again, it uh, because the, the years gone by, people realised the E-Type, and so they started investing in the production of the parts. Uh, it took the XJS again a long time to suddenly become that car of collectible and the parts chain is not as comprehensive mm -hmm. for it and again we've we've been invited to sit in talks uh discussing parts of these cars with uh, manufacturers so you know hopefully hopefully everybody is sort of pulling together and trying to uh, overcome that mm -hmm. Well, you've told me that you've been in business here with CBR Restorations for more than 20 years now. And uh, you weren't always here at this site, though, were you? So how has the company evolved and grown over that time? Basically, nobody gives you a rule book on how to uh, run a business. And uh, the to jump in, as you say, at such an early age uh, was interesting and Yes, I've never ch gone out there chasing and promoting the business as such. Every, everything that came our way 
founders by reputation, word and mouth. Probably a slow way to build a business, but I'd like to say it's a thorough way to build the business. And uh, learned and made mistakes. Uh, as another businessman once said to me, uh, he says, show me the businessman who said he never made a mistake. He said, and I'll show you a liar. He says, because a successful business makes mistakes. And as long as they learn from them as they grow. And we grew and encountered many challenges along the way. Even foot and mouth was a challenge as crazy as it is because all shows stopped. Uh, our transporters at the time used to reside on, uh, on farmland, parked up. You couldn't get to them. So any transport stopped dead. Um, the uh, and again, obviously, going through along with the daily running challenges of a business, you've got a credit crunch came, crunch came along. Mm -hmm. uh, that again was certainly a challenge. You've got all these sort of customers, and surprisingly, they stopped spending first mm -hmm. uh, because when you questioned and you know, and says, Well, how come? XYZ and they say it's going to be painful credit crunch as we all rightfully remember but they saw it at the start and said that basically if they didn't stop playing with their toys then their staff wouldn't believe it was going to be real and wouldn't draw the awns in so you know it was passing trade helped us through that time because their old premises were closer to the main road position uh, probably two years two and a half years before the credit crunch finally ended uh, we'd already started to accelerate and take off upwards because yeah people were dusting the cars off and getting them back out so that you know that got us through that section fast forward on like say 20 years and like we say seven years ago i decided to move to bigger premises uh hopefully it was the right choice yes one thing that came to light was i proved the business model and its reputation what i also proved to myself when we were able to fill the workshop to the extent that you've seen and a client base to where it is and along with full order books uh what i did also prove was there is a distinct lack of skill in this trade and trying to find the skill and also educate the things that i've learned and know over the years and pass it on uh, that has been the biggest challenge that we now face and yeah, trying to find the answers to that is something else. It's great to see initiatives like we see at Bista Heritage with the Heritage Skills Academy bringing apprentices through into historic vehicles and into restoration but as you've described there this is a sort of a heyday really for the classic car world there's a lot of work out there. there's a lot of cars out there that need looking after and there simply aren't enough apprentices coming through are there to satisfy the need of the people who are retiring at the other end yeah and that that is the issue you know you're racing against health age and everything else that's uh, sort of dropping off the one end of the scale and like you say the uh, apprenticeships coming through uh there aren't that many sort of applying for it yes they've got a nice dream and Bista heritage fantastic setup down there you know phenomenal uh but they're uh, like say you've if they haven't got the vision the people coming through haven't got the vision or practical common sense uh we we have people coming here with certificate after certificate and uh, from very big places and when you give them the practical side of it they haven't actually been released that much with their hands on them mm -hmm. yeah they're going through some of these companies more or less just watching mm -hmm. people work on him and again you're dealing with people's very expensive pride and joy no matter what level it's at they've used hard-earned money to buy it and yes you, you've got to make sure whoever you let loose on those vehicles he's competent and respect what what they're working 
What about the challenges for your customer base? Because we have seen an, an ever-aging population in the classic car world. Is that a concern of yours that in you know, 10, 20 years' time, a lot of your regular customers now are getting to the point where age is a problem? Are you seeing newer, younger customers coming in? We are, we are seeing, again, younger customers, but the ratio the ratio against the customers and friends because all our customers we class as friends uh, uh the ratio of loss against the ratio coming in is i'm going to say slightly reduced but again what you're finding is people purchase their classic on the what they remember of their youth mm-hmm. and so that's bringing in uh sort of cars from the 80s 70s 80s more than i questioning in the back of my mind where are the vintage cars going to be as time moves on because you know not many want to do the london brighton i think it's fantastic but if you uh, if you ask somebody who's uh, sort of just coming into their thirties what it is, they you know they'd probably say it was a marathon. There's not as many weirdos out there like me as there should be. That's for sure. But um, you know, and you've got a wonderful uh, um, Mercedes out there that we'll we'll look at a little bit later on. Um, and you know, you mentioned that most of your work in those early days came from word of mouth, and that word of mouth has also seen you appear in the media now and then. And then, of course, you work with the Practical Classics team at the NEC to turn around some of their restorations on stage. Uh, does that have an impact on your business? Is it just something that you do for fun? I mean, it's got to be good PR, isn't it? Again, it's a privilege. There's there's a lot of skilled technicians out there. Uh, I know we've just said about the. Uh, the lack of uh, quality of skill that's coming through, but there is a phenomenal amount of very skilled blokes out there, and and women, and the privilege to be asked to be the one that's on a live stage for 12, 13 live builds as a company and a person, uh, yes, it it is nice sort of PR rights that we can use when we address the quality and achievements of the business yes some tv work uh has also been done uh which again i remember when i was called about a particular program they said uh, the the guy who called me said he wasn't willing to have a go at it unless i came on board to help him get it started and uh and yeah again that was phenomenal that I got that call and yes again now we write in uh the odd article in practical classics we've got another cover story that we're going to start to run in a couple of months with them that uh will be a monthly thing i believe uh and again being asked to be technical advisor and partner to the jec on our reputation that gives you great feeling that you've been recognized for what you've achieved over the years having done a lot with philip porter's lot as well mm-hmm. i uh, i feel that what they've asked me to do was again another phenomenal you know obviously now the uh, the big celebrity and stardom has hit you because you're here on this podcast with us and that's that you've made it now andy i'm sure you feel that <laughs> as, I, as i say in your office actually there is a big silver plate that sits behind you on your filing cabinet and it says Jaguar Clubs of North America Concours to Elegance Best Jaguar in Class tell us the story of this trophy that sits behind you this uh, trophy as you've rightfully noticed was uh, forwarded to us from a customer out in Seattle uh, Washington State he's been a customer now for some 6-7 years and uh, we did his XK120 uh did a resto on it and it was great to work with the customer because we can't create any of these dreams or visions that the customer has if you know if the customer doesn't finance it yeah we might be able to have the skill to build them but we need we need the customer to be able to finance it so there's a big partnership and trust to achieve this and the owner actually won that trophy five years after the car was done and 
unknowing to me, I get this recorded delivery parcel and opened it up. There's some pictures, there's his trophy. And I think it was a phenomenal gesture from from the guy because he'd won it at an event and he said that in his eyes we deserved it we'd done the work and uh i did yeah that was really good but like i said before we see our customers also as friends and but yeah that uh a close relationship and very much appreciated that from him that's lovely that is and before we press the record button on this we were talking about uh, uh, friends of yours customers that do rallies in their jaguars and other classics that you help them to prepare and uh, you've got experience of not only just preparing cars for rallies making sure that those people that have ambitions to do these great journeys in their classics have a reliable car to do it in but you've also had experience of doing it on the roadside as well and there's a slightly different set of skills needed to fix a car, as I say, on the side of a mountain in the snow, isn't there? Most definitely is. You know, it, uh, the presses and everything else are stuck uh, many, many miles away from you. Uh, and there's only so many tools and equipment and spares you can carry, carry with you. Uh, there's uh, done so many interesting challenges, one being uh, roadside wheel bearing change, uh, in a races and out uh, at the roadside and using uh, using fortunately the guy's second man as a voice <laughs> for me to uh, be able to knock these races in and out but uh, I recall one uh, again vintage car where the uh, the car had started to miss and luckily I just got the bonnet up and just in time to see the distributor kick as it cut out uh, so instantly that led me straight to a point to start pop the dizzy cap off and the top of the rotor on the metal strip had actually uh, chewed itself up on the carbide in the center of the dizzy uh, it was a vintage rolls royce and uh, i uh, first off he's like you know daunting you know this is it it's all over but i'm afraid the challenge at the side of the road is to make sure every single one of your cars that you're work working on uh comes home for its tea at the <laughs> hotel meal shall we say and finally i scratch it scratching my head i actually took the outer bracket off a condenser if that had already got a hole through it and the Rolls-Royce rotor on the metal stripper actually has a screw holding it into the bakelite and uh, so I bent this strip to the shape it should resemble uh, kept bending it and case hardening it until it snapped at the size I needed took the screw out screwed it back in this strip into the top of the rotor arm but i needed someone to replace the carbide strip hadn't got anything frame of the car is actually made of uh, wood found the smallest screw i could uh turned it uh, turned it in two turns into the spring in the dizzy cap put it back together and that car actually got itself back 16 miles uh with that that was yeah that was one of those interesting challenges um the uh another event on a charity a charity event a car was doing a tour and it was for a kids cancer charity for one of the magazines and it, it started to develop this silly fault and eventually uh worked it out that uh the pump would only give one beat and it was how are we going to overcome this we hadn't got another pump and finally i uh i took the earth wire cut a length of wire to extend it underneath the dash into the car and the earth for that pump we used as morse code and just kept tapping it on the base of the metal dashboard and so gave a regular beat to the fuel pump and that car actually managed i think it was some 70 80 mile uh between the co-driver and the driver I do believe that you know the wrist had got very tired, <laughs> but uh, they did keep passing it over. 
Brilliant. It must give you a real sense of satisfaction, not only just to see a concourse car roll out of the workshops um, here at CBR, but also to see a customer's car come across a finishing line, or as you say, get back for its tea at the hotel. Does it give you a real sense of satisfaction, a real buzz? Yeah, it's like say, it's uh, failure. Failure is certainly not anything that we <laughs> we like to say. We don't stand by that word. Failure is not an option. Uh, by hook or crook, it's got to get across the line. And we've we've done many uh, emailed pictures and drawings to help people understand the issue that they've got with the car because you can't be in every single country every single country and every single event you know at the end of the day there's a business there's a business back here and we've got to we've got to run it but uh, you've also got to be at the end of a phone for your customers to uh, try and make sure that whatever happens because items items do fail uh, new items fail and you've just got to give it every ounce of your knowledge and that's where the practical common sense comes from that you've absorbed over the years and you can hopefully diagnose from one person's description mm. and normally you find what they describe you send them the opposite side of the car to uh, to <laughs> fix fix the problem that end or bypass it uh but yeah it, it there is a great air of uh, sort of pleasure out of uh, out of that and now actually only today i've uh, spoken to a customer who's out on a tour in Europe uh, because he's been out there uh, with his wife for two two weeks nearly now and we've heard absolutely nothing and so you know you do that tentative call to say you know is it uh, is everything performing and yeah we've we've had the green light to uh, to say yes uh happy days the car's doing everything impeccably uh his event finishes tomorrow so one sort of 24 hours and it's done and again one that did 5000 miles it was great that they knew and other other people who aren't our customers were calling asking for advice and we were getting parts shipped out to them to uh, to get them to finish their events What's great about being here at CBR actually is to hear stories like that and know that not only are you producing cars that can go on and sit in very nice posh fields and win very nice posh trophies, but also cars that can be used and enjoyed and their owners can go and fulfil their dreams of seeing amazing parts of the world in them. And I think that's what sets CBR restorations apart from so many other restoration companies that I've visited. Um, but uh, like a good restoration company, a good workshop, we've got a good cup of tea here in the office. So we will have our cup of tea and you'll get one, no doubt, as a customer if you come here as well. And then we'll have a little look through the workshops and Andy will take us on a tour of what's currently in the workshops, what facilities they've got here so that you get a picture of what they've got here at CBR Restoration. So uh, after a cup of tea, we'll be back. You're listening to the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. To find out what events you can get along to or to discover local club meets in your region, visit jec.org.uk. So we're wandering through the offices here at CBR Classic Restorations, just leaving Andy's office in the bowels of their workshops here. And uh, we've come out uh, and I see a lovely French Blue Triumph GT6 Mark III body here. Of course, the straight six and GT version of the Triumph Spitfire, which he's got in here selling on behalf of a customer, which is a beautiful car. Just a reminder, of course, that CBR do all sorts of different classics, not just Jaguars. Um, but on the wall here is... A beautiful XK120 on the front cover of a magazine, Jag Mag from November 2020. And uh, it's all framed and looking very special. So uh, explain the story, Andy. That, uh, that again, is the uh, 120 that we restored for the customer out in uh, Seattle. And that is, again, for the Northwest America Jaguar Club. Uh, the magazine actually did a feature on it. And that's the literally the front cover. So this was the uh, trophy that we were talking about earlier on that's uh, sat proudly in Andy's office. And also 
by the way, sat proudly in Andy's office is a picture frame with an XK140 in it as well. And that's a very special car to you, isn't it? It certainly was. Uh, when I started on that YTS that I mentioned all those decades ago, that car was actually in the showroom of the garage that I started work for. And uh, ne- never did I ever believe that years later I was actually going to get to own that car. It looked a lot tireder when I got to own it because it was some 20 years later and they'd uh, they'd used it as a workbench in the back of the mechanics garage by then so thick with dust and a couple of broken lights but uh, but yeah I did eventually get to own it but again due to the business gave me the car and as time moves on through credit crunches etc the uh, I gave it back to the business to make sure that we propelled ourselves through for the future and the good of the business. Well, the good news is you are an XK140 owner again, but I'm not going to tell anyone about that because you can read the full story very soon in Jaguar Enthusiast magazine and in Practical Classics as well. Uh, That's a a really lovely, heartwarming story behind uh, Andy's new XK140. So uh, check out those publications to learn more as we make our way now through CBR past that Triumph GT6 in French blue and we'll head out into the workshops now. And as you do, you sort of get through the various doors and and here we are. So the first thing I see in front of me here as we walk down a little narrow corridor is an E-Type. There's no bonnet on it. The engine is uh, almost finished. No radiator or cooling system in there and certainly no interior, no roof. Lots of Dynamat soundproofing uh, has been included in this. Uh, so tell us the story of this E-Type. This E-Type came into us as a left-hand drive and we've stripped it completely down, full bare metal respray, including obviously all the fabrication and uh, steelwork, including lead. And we're now reassembling it as the right-hand drive vehicle that the owner requires. And it's a wonderful looking car already. It's going to look even more stunning when it's finished as the lads here are pushing an XK150 back into one of the bays as a Triumph stag at the back there. And uh, it's almost the end of the day, isn't it? It is, yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, let me get them finished and work. That's what he wants to know about. Now, over here in front of me, this is a stunning car. Of course, in 1957, Jaguar had handed over the motorsport program to Ecuria Cos. And in 1957, under Acuria Cos, the Jaguar D-Types had their most successful season in racing, and in particular at Le Mans that year. Uh, This is a uh, replica of the Jaguar D-Type that would have won in 1957, all over the place. And this is another customer's car that you're looking after, isn't it? Yes, it's uh, recently purchased by the owner. I went to inspect it and go through it. Let let him know what it required, which the dealership addressed 90% of the jobs and can't fault the service they gave, but we're just finishing off a few of the things the owner wants for reliability and personal comfort. Looks great and uh, a lovely car to own and enjoy. Looks stunning sat here. There is a whole number of cars actually. We've got an XK on the ramp over there. There's a Ford Capri as well on one of the ramps. Uh, They've apparently got crashed into a tree, is that right? Yes, the car is part of a personal collection, a large collection from the Isle of Man. And the son apparently crashed the car. Uh, some years ago but yes it's it's come over for a full nut and bolt uh, restoration and a huge nicely newly painted body shell over there on its wheels of a bristol as well yeah again that's that has only come in for body so we've uh, addressed all the welding issues of the aluminium and uh, full bare aluminium stroke metal respray has been carried out with that and we're now in the final stages of polishing and then we'll assemble the glass. And we're actually stood in the middle of the main workshop area here at CBR in front of the body tub from a Jaguar E-Type and this is an E-Type that came in just this week. It drove up from the south coast of England, it arrived here and within a few days it's been stripped ready for restoration. It's basically a yeah, full nut and bolt restoration on this vehicle, which again is another feature car being written about each month. 
in the JEC, so the uh, stories of its progress for the owner on this journey that he's going on. Uh, he promised himself this journey when he retired and now he's fulfilling that dream. Wonderful and uh, a lovely tub actually. It's uh, You can often see lots of rusty holes in E-type tubs when they're all taken apart but this one looks like a really good solid basis for a restoration. As I stand here in the workshop with the main door behind me, uh, to the left here there are a couple of ramps within a within a bay. That, that bay is actually where all the fabrication and steel work goes on, all the grinding uh, etc and round the corner in the next part of that room is where all the uh, sort of panel making equipment is shrinkers stretchers uh english wheel etc fantastic but next to it here is the paint booth and uh, you're able to do as we see with the bristol here even really large cars paint them and, and uh, deliver a really good level of finish and there's two mixing schemes in the uh, paint room one water based one solvent based we're registered and licensed under the government scheme for the solvent paints due to the fact that uh, although one big company has now started to uh, formulate every classic car color in water uh, the uh, we solvent is still the main route for that and at the side of that is one of the prep rooms one of the three car prep rooms that we've got to try and contain uh, contain dust although all the suction uh, suction equipment is in place uh, it is still a dusty job and uh, all manner of classics here there's a mustang here that looks like it's arrived straight from the set of the bullet film uh, some more modern classics as well here we've got uh, another triumph there tr6 which is having some light restoration work still wearing its original south african number plate there also a, uh, a lovely lotus in the back there as we walk uh, now past this uh, XK150, uh, tell us about this car, it looks nearly there with some beautiful trim already. Yep, again this is now, in the next two weeks it'll be going to the trimmers for the final uh, trimming, well I think it's actually Monday coming this leaves for the trimmer, but yeah this is again a full body off chassis, bare metal respray that's gone on, uh, up towards your top corner of the building there that is a clean room for all of our mechanical and engine building section at the moment there's three three jaguar engines and a couple of others in there but three jaguar engines and one again is having a bit of a story written about it and has been shown in the JEC magazine but the owner wouldn't announce where it was being done because it's quite a rare car and he wants to announce it when it's all finished. Well, talking of rare cars, if we just go through into the sort of the second bay here at CBR, there is a veteran car uh, dating right the way back from 1910. Uh, it is a Mercedes-Benz, a 4045. And why is this here? What's its story? We retrieved this out of one of the dampest environments you could imagine. The foliage and trees were growing through the building walls. Uh, it was it was sacrilege for it to be sitting there, and uh, part of a, a big car collection. And we got asked by the owners if we would uh, go and fetch it, bring it back to the workshop, and basically show it some love. Was their words. Uh, so it is genuinely being paid to be stored in a in a more pleasant environment. Okay. Well, it is a lovely car, veteran car. So, of course, we're talking wooden wheels here. We're talking cart springs, talking beautiful brass work and woodwork and uh, that open cabin at the front with the leather seats on and then, of course, the really plush. And Andy's just opened the door. And I'll just poke my head in. It is beautifully plush in here. Deep carpets, big, cosy seats in there, uh, just as you would have travelled as a very, very wealthy and uh, uh, well-off German, probably, in the uh, early part of the 1900s. A real piece of automotive history here at CBR. Just really given a picture of the huge variety of cars that they work on and huge variety of, of work that they're able to do. Um, but certainly looking around, you've got Triumphs, Lotuses, those two Mustangs there. 
Uh, there's even an Aston Martin up on the ramp, actually. Uh, V8 Vantage, I think that is. And uh, looking like it's going to get some serious engine work. A huge car sat up on the, uh, the lift here. But certainly the mainstay is Jaguar, isn't it, for you, Andy? Uh, there are plenty of XKs in every little corner here in the workshop. Is it your favourite car to work on? Or is it just one that keeps coming in through the workshop doors? Well, as you can see, there's plenty of nut and bolt rebuilds waiting and being worked on going through the different stages. I've always said British marks are a main passion for, for us as a, as a business. But yes, Jaguars play a very big part in our life. And we'd like to say that's where our knowledge can be shared with the mixture of Mark II's, XK's and E-types that uh, certainly, uh, yeah, certainly make the days interesting for us. And there's no coincidence that we mentioned at the start of this little tour round that on the office wall there hangs your very special memories of your very special XK140, now a new owner of another XK140. And uh, this really is your, your passion as well as your job, isn't it? Yes. It's, uh, at the end of the day, I think anybody who's working on such, uh, such prestige metal has to have a passion in, in them for such such cars because they are a piece of history they're also a piece of art uh we as a country created very stunning machines uh back then and like say it is a passion personal to me well, don't forget you can get in touch with Andy Waters via the Jaguar Enthusiast magazine where you can catch up on all of the latest technical tips that he's shared with the members of the Jaguar Enthusiast Club here in the UK and beyond. Also, regular tips and updates here on the podcast as well. And if you look at the podcast description on the podcast page, you can find all the details to get to CBR Restorations, their website and his email address, all the details you need. But Andy, it's been fantastic to uh, get a look behind the scenes here at CBR Classic Restorations so thank you very much again thank you it's been a pleasure to have you here to uh, to show you the workings of of the environment that we're standing that's all for this episode of the jaguar enthusiast club podcast don't forget to keep in touch with us here on the jc podcast via www.jcpodcast.com and you can get in touch with us very easily by using the voice recorder on there to leave us a message or you can use the contact form if you prefer to write your messages. Don't forget, you can also join the Jaguar Enthusiast Club online by clicking the Join Today button on the top right-hand corner of the podcast page to enjoy all the benefits plus the fantastic, glossy, 130-page monthly magazine that's all included in your membership of the worldwide Jaguar family that is the JEC. This is the Jaguar Enthusiasts Club podcast. Subscribe for new episodes at jecpodcast.com.